Hello, everybody, and welcome to Tinker Talks. This is your audio format podcast talking about everything that is behind the fence line of Tinker Air Force Base. Uh, so today we're going to begin a, a series of a few podcasts about the coronavirus. Um, I think it's safe to say that we all know something about coronavirus or COVID-19, as we're calling it. So we don't need to cover a lot of um, the background about it. Uh, it was actually just a week ago that we had discussed doing our first COVID-19 podcast. And at that time, the installation was in HPCon Alpha with zero confirmed cases. So in just a matter of a few days, we can see uh, how this thing is, is growing. We're now in health uh, HPCon condition Charlie, and we have, at the time of this recording, three confirmed cases on the base. So um, it's it's time now that uh, we, we begin this podcast and talking about COVID-19 uh, for informational sake. So uh, with that, this morning I have three members of our medical group team. Uh, we're joined by Colonel Jennifer Trinkle. She is the 72nd Med Group Commander. Uh, Major Trinette Flowers-Torres, the Public Health Commander. Colonel Cindy Gressel. Grassel? Is that how I say that, ma'am? Yes, sir. Yes. Cindy Grassel. She is the Public Health Emergency Officer. So thank you all for joining us this morning. Um, this And feel free to jump right in and... and uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for inviting us. Don't be bashful. There's no cameras. This is just all audio. So um, yes, so this is a very, um, obviously a very important topic to talk about right now. Um, so We'll jump right in with, um, there's a lot of talk about the coronavirus and COVID-19, um, but can one of you help us get a better understanding of what what is the distinction? Well, this is uh, Major Flowers Torres, um, the only one in the global, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, I'll let you know um, from a public health perspective <clears throat> what that means to us. So... We conduct medical surveillance, and there are over 200 known coronaviruses um, in circulation right now. The reason why we have this interest in the COVID-19 um, virus is the fact that um, it is new, it is novel, and it hasn't been introduced into the human population. Um, when it appeared in December of last year, and it had such a significant effect on the health of the population and that certain part of the world and now globally, um, that's what made us um, take notice because we don't have any medical treatments for this um, other than care. And so from a public health perspective, we want to conduct medical surveillance so that we can identify the health trends um, caused by the coronavirus or COVID-19 and identify any mitigating efforts we can implement to contain um, the spread if possible. Okay, so is this COVID-19, is this a strand of a more well-known virus is that is that right is that in the, in a layman's term hi this is dr cindy gressel so so the coronavirus is a type of virus mm -hmm. and we have as trinette said we have uh, you know over 200 and some of these live primarily in animals and some make that jump into humans such as the sars virus if, if you remember mm -hmm. back in the early 2000s sure. so so the coronavirus is the type of virus and covid19 is actually what started out as the novel coronavirus of 2019. It's more of the disease that it causes. Okay. And if you want to get really geeky with this, <laughs> this particular mm -hmm. coronavirus, the actual virus name is the SARS-CoV-2. Okay. So if you remember the SARS-CoV, that's a sudden acute respiratory syndrome mm -hmm. virus that we had in the early 2000s. This virus is very, very similar. It's a 
it's a RNA virus as opposed to a DNA virus, and it shares a lot of the same genetics uh, with that other prior virus. What is an RNA virus? So an RNA virus is a ribonuclease um, uh, virus rather than the double-stranded virus of what other types of viruses have. I don't know <laughs> there any other way to <laughs> explain that. <laughs> But but the virologists get very very excited over that. So <laughs> right. Uh, well, and, and not that I would. Before we venture off too deep into all this, and we certainly wouldn't want to make light of of uh, COVID nineteen. But is it is it a more um, not as an intense a virus or sickness? Like is is it uh, like maybe it's it? I don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Like it's it's not as um, like a like virulent, not, a virulent right, strain. Right. So it's we. The first thing that we have to keep in mind is that we don't know a whole lot about this. Right. This is a brand new virus that has jumped into the human race. Mm-hmm. So we have no known prior immunity to this virus. That's what causes the problems. Now with influenza, the influenza virus, we see this every year. It's called seasonal influenza. Right. Sometimes it changes. Uh, it changes its genetics, which means that every year we have to get a new vaccination. Sometimes it changes so drastically that it causes a pandemic, like a pandemic influenza, which we saw in, we've seen it in Hong Kong in the late 1960s. There was a, another influenza in the 1950s. And then, of course, the worst that we've seen was the, uh, quote, the Spanish influenza mm. pandemic in the late 1900s, or 1918, 1917 timeframe. Right. So, so when these viruses uh, mutate and they change their genetics and jump into the human form, and we don't have the prior immunity, that's what causes the problems. Right. And, and we just don't know, we don't have any information on you know, what is this long-term going to cause? How is this going to progress? Things like that. And from the public health perspective, um, we want to caveat um, for the, like the seasonal influenza, we have something that we call herd immunity. Mm -hmm. And so that means there's a specific portion of the population that must be immunized against this particular virus um, to stop the human to human spread in the community. That's why we push getting your flu shot. Now the percentage of the herd immunity is specific for each individual virus. But I'll just say, I'll give an example. So if we have virus X, if we can ensure that, let's say, 86% of the population is immunized against that virus, then whenever that virus is introduced into the population, we have enough people immunized so that it cannot spread. Right. So herd immunity and seasonal influenza um, is very important. We haven't gotten that or determined that percentage for um, this novel coronavirus mm-hmm. because, again, um, it's new and we're gathering the information. We don't know about it. And it's, it's like removing oxygen from a fire. Like the fire has no, no way to keep breathing and stay alive. But, and I think, um, I think you, you made that kind of clear. Is what I was trying to get at was you, you keep hearing – you know, from a lot of different people and rumors and corners out there that this isn't really a very harmful virus. And I think that, you know, it may or may not be. We don't really know a whole lot about it yet, but it's important to to make sure that we're still taking very precautionary matters to keep ourselves safe and to keep other people safe. And Um, 
I'm sorry. And yep. This is Major Flowers. And I, and I think harmful um, varies for different people. Um, mm -hmm. For example, um, the governor has uh, terminated school for the rest of the year in the Oklahoma um, school system, rather the superintendent. Um, and a lot of people are wondering why. Well, we have a lot of children um, in school who have senior citizens or elderly caregivers. Um, so we're so as of now, the majority of the people impacted by the COVID-19 are elderly. So in addition to stopping the spread of the virus within the, uh, the pediatric population, we're also looking to um, prevent the spread of the disease in the population of senior citizens or um, elderly people who are taking care of their grandkids or their great-grandkids or their nieces or great-nieces um, because it can have a more detrimental effect in that population. So that's a secondary effect, um, positive effect of having the schools closed for the rest of the school year. Now, as a parent, educationally, um, I have my own opinions, but that is one of the underlying <laughs> reasons right. why the, the superintendent and the Department of Edu Education thought that this was the correct measure to take. Right. And I think that that's also an important thing to note is that while currently what what the community and the medical community has seen was that it's impacting a certain population worse than others. But that doesn't mean that everybody doesn't have to do their part in making sure. I mean, you. Yeah, so okay, if you feel like, well, I'm Superman, I'm I'm, you know, 25 years old and I'm in great health, who cares? But that's not the point. Like the point is that you need to to take the precautions and the safety to not pass it on to x number of of other people that that you can see. I don't know, it's like quad it, at times four or something that you know, the the numbers when people put it out there how many people one person could impact over a period of time. So that's great great information. And so Colonel Trinkle, your team is is now like full on uh, COVID nineteen, and obviously a lot of things of having to change in your organization from the leadership standpoint. Um, it's your responsibility to try to to try to take your resources and readjust and maneuver on battling this thing for all the people here on base. So what types of measures have you had to, to take for your team to be successful in combating and, and just doing the day-to-day -day work and keeping the mission and the people safe? Well, I will tell you, the last two weeks have been fast and furious. <laughs> um, you know, I know our patients, uh, the, the base populace, our military members, have probably seen more change in the medical group uh, in that time frame. Uh, we started uh, by changing operations at our front door. You know, part of my job is to ensure that our patient population is safe and taken care of, but also to ensure the safety of my medical staff, right. um, you know, and to ensure that we can fight this fight for as long as possible um, and deliver care mm -hmm. uh, and take care of people. So the first thing that we did is we started screening at the front door. Um, so we are asking folks where they've been, who they've been in contact with, taking temperatures, um, and ensuring that we take care of folks that have flu-like symptoms outside, not inside. Hmm. Um, that's number one. Um, I know that everybody has seen the changes with the pharmacy. Uh, we are now not filling scripts. No, there's nobody standing in the lobby. It's kind of very eerie uh, uh -huh. for us, but we are we're doing everything through the drive-through. Uh, to decrease that contamination or that contact uh, that could happen right. uh, for both patient and staff. 
Um, additionally, uh, as we move forward in a lot of the HPCon measures, and we're in Charlie now, you're going to see that a lot of uh, the interaction that you will have with the Med Group now is going to be almost over the phone. So we are switching to a lot more of what we call telemedicine mm-hmm. or virtual appointments. So what we're asking is that when you are calling in to uh, the medical group, you know, for routine issues like medication refills, um, follow-up appointments, stuff like that, you'll probably be booked into a virtual appointment where a provider will actually call you back instead of coming in. Right. Um, we may delay getting some labs. Um, we may delay a follow-up appointment, but we will still take care of you. We'll still be in contact with you. Um, what we do ask is that if you are sitting at home, uh, self-isolating, and you feel like you need to have a physical done, um, please don't call in to book that. Um, we are truly only taking care of urgent, emergent, necessary things right now over the phone um, and getting those things taken care of. If for some reason you truly need to be seen, you will be triaged uh, via the phone. And if you really, really need to be seen, we'll be brought in based on that fact. Um, But these are kind of some of the changes that are going on right now. Um, I know we are in the process of setting up a new tent right now in our parking lot uh, Mm -hmm. in the patient parking area where we are going to actually have a cold flu clinic uh, out front um, just totally eliminating the possibility of any of those folks walking through our doors. So we do ask that you be patient with us. Um, This is going to cause some delays. There is going to be backup at the drive-thru. We are trying uh, diligently to try to ease that for everybody, knowing that this is going to be a constraint. But we just want to know that that we are still here for you. We're still taking care of people, uh, and we're still fighting this fight. Right, and we're all in this together. So. It's a great point, and we're, we're, we are getting a chance to hear that and communicate it, uh, even from our side, about the um, empathy and being kind to one another. Like, now just is not the time to to be snarky Absolutely. or mean or to people. Like, this is a time we... And, and I think we'll, we'll come there, because I, I think, as you've seen with everything that's ever happened, big, big events that have happened in the past, you know, we managed to, to pull together and get to that point. We're just we're so early on in this battle right now that you know, and I think it, it goes without saying for sure that your team, ma'am, is doing an incredible job at the way they have just um, the way that you've put all this together so quickly and how everybody's adjusting. You've you've certainly had an interesting year changing over the entire med group and and, <laughs> and now coming to this. So you've you've seen a lot of uh unique things from a commander's perspective on what you've had to do with your medical team over the last year it's very good can i add something to that uh, of course yes. you don't even ask jump, <laughs> jump. this is a conversation yes jump right in yeah, this is dr gressel again i just want to put a shout out to our tinker medics i think we have the yeah. best medics in the world we they do. they have just come together i will give them an idea and they will just they're young and smart and just brilliant and they will just they'll fix it they'll Mm -hmm. work it they'll make it happen and our team public health man we have just the best public health team again just a big shout out and i i so greatly appreciate all their help so that's my plug for you know and (laughs) tinker medics and (laughs) on top of that too you know when we say tinker medics i mean we have a plethora of not only active duty people, but civilians and contractors mm-hmm. who are so dedicated 
just know that that the the medics out there are truly dedicated. They are just a great great bunch of people. And I love working with them. They are. It's a, it's a and good I'm, I'm sorry. I would like to piggyback <laughs> <laughs> uh, and shout out to our families that are supporting us. Um, uh, for my example, my husband, he's really stepped up. He like he has dinner ready and waiting. Our two kids, you know, he's corralling them and keeping his sanity. So uh, shout out to our families that are supporting us. Wow, that's that's so. a great point. Yeah, the I mean, we don't even think about that part of this whole entire mission. There's the there's the home team that's just as Absolutely. valuable. Like, especially for you guys, where I mean, in your the the medical teams all over the country and you guys here i mean you're right into the middle of this whole thing so you're gonna get worn out and uh and you need to stay healthy you're certainly exposed <laughs> more than anybody uh, but we wear appropriate ppe yeah. <laughs> that's right we do take precautions we, that's, we a, that's a very very great and point. i did laundry just for the record that's, that's a great point and we are practicing our social distancing here as well just for those who who want to know um so the the commander uh, implemented a public health emergency recently. What what exactly does that mean uh, to our people out there? And I think there there are some things that he now puts into your team's hand mm-hmm. to kind of guide him on the the real the the way we need to be approaching this. What does that mean, ma'am? So as the FEO, the public health emergency officer, uh, I am charged by DODI to, to guide the installation commander whenever we come to the point where we need to declare a formal public health emergency, mm-hmm. meaning that there is something out there that's affecting us on base and possibly the community that we need to help try to contain via our disease containment plan. A formal declaration of a public health emergency gives the installation commander certain emergency powers to do certain things to help contain the spread of this disease, this entity, this act of terrorism, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. In this case, it's COVID-19, a virus. Uh, for example, if there were a vaccine that were available for this, the installation commander under a declared public health emergency could direct that everyone receive this vaccine mm-hmm. or receive a medication that would be uh, handed out at a point of dispensing a pod right. if there were a medication or a vaccine available for whatever entity you're dealing with. So the declaration of a public health emergency gives the, the uh, installation commander more authority to do things, restrict movement, force quarantine, force isolation, uh, you know, impart social distancing criteria, mm-hmm. and force our civilian public health counterparts. It gives them the ability to request uh, financing, to uh, request the strategic national stockpile assets, um, and, and to request uh, aid of like the National Guard and things like that. Right. So did you want to add further? (laughs) (laughs) So just to expand, um, I forget what year it was, but when H1N1 um, became um, a pandemic, Mm -hmm. the president at the time and then certain installation commanders declared a public health emergency. And um, if you were an active duty member, that impacted you in the way that they created a vaccine within six months, which is totally unheard of, um, to combat H1N1. So that impacted the active duty members that year and that we received 
two flu shots, basically. And so that was done under the public health emergency powers um, that are generated when a public health emergency is declared by either the, the Health and Human Services, uh, the president, or the installation commander if you're following the DOD or federal government chains. Right. And so, go ahead, ma'am. Oh, and just a, an additional, you know, with those powers, uh, Colonel Filchak uh, also has the ability to do stuff that people are going to see across the base now where we're going to start probably screening at single points of entry across different base or buildings on base. Right. Um, you know, uh, doing certain things with the BX uh, and the commissary uh, to ensure that uh, good order and discipline is taken care of across the base. Right. Um, you know, we may shut down gates, but the, the reason for that is so we don't expose our defenders mm -hmm. uh, to this as well because they are a vital asset as well as medical. Right. Um, so just adding on to, to those things. And too. so under, under that authority, he takes a lot of this guidance from your team, correct, as far as, far as the what he can and can't do for the, the medical part, or, or maybe even some suggestions and guidance on maybe things he should think of uh, as you guys try to get out there. And I think that you brought up a good point, Colonel Trinkle, about isolating. Like that's one of the key key ways to, to help us on the base, right, is to try to isolate and pin this thing down and to, and to stop it, its movement, I guess, if you will. Exactly. And, you know, one of the things that we have really pushed is that, look, at if you're not feeling well, stay home right you know that's the biggest help for everybody from the defender at the gate to the folks in the medical group to your co-workers mm -hmm. just stay home you know and right. and and wait and see what happens um, wash your hands social distance all of these things play into that that's how everyone out there can help us right and social distance can be implemented um, in the workplace as well as at home. Mm -hmm. um, instituting um, alternating cubicles every to ensure there's a minimum of three to six feet distance between your coworkers, if that's a viable option in your workplace. Right. And I mean, we've even done it down at our level just for lunch, like mm -hmm. you know where you used to eat five or six people at a table. Now, now you're eating two or three at a table, and you're spreading apart and. Uh, doing our our due diligence as well but so ma'am you, you bring up um if you don't feel well and just to stay at home and that that brings me to the question of so you hear a lot about the three symptoms right the, the mm -hmm. three ones that everybody really is talking about out there in the public and that's the fever um the cough and um oh what's gosh what's shortness the other one of shortness of breath, breath. thank you yeah. so are there other symptoms that may or, or have you guys seen um, in your case where somebody may not have one of these symptoms but they have other symptoms that would be typical with a virus that maybe they should look for as well yeah that's that's the million dollar question <laughs> <laughs> we wish that everyone who uh, who was carrying this virus had the symptoms so they could be identified but unfortunately that's not the case mm. So you're absolutely right. Fever, cough, shortness of breath are the typical main symptoms. And for the most part, that's, that's what we're seeing. The fever is kind of plus minus. You can still have the virus and not have a fever. However, for testing purposes, like if we want to collect a lab test and send it off to test for COVID-19, we're using a fever for, for part of that criteria. There's some other... Uh, symptoms that have been reported out there in the literature and the literature is kind of limited right now and like i said this is a new virus and we're getting a lot of our data from uh, china and from their scientists mm -hmm. that have published these studies there are some uh, potential like body aches 
headaches, uh, diarrhea might be um, uh, a symptom of this. It's probably not the main symptom that you're going to see first, which would be the fever, the cough, the shortness of breath, more of the upper respiratory concerns. But what cloudies the picture is that we're also in flu season, Hmm. so we are having flu. We do have uh, cases of strep throat going around, and with all the (laughs) changing weather, allergies um, are just running rampant as well as we come into these days where it's really, really warm, really, really cold, really, really warm, and then right. the trees are blooming and we have a lot of pollen. Right. So there are other symptoms. It is basically uh, presents like the flu mm-hmm. does. So the flu can present with an array of different symptoms. Our main ones, though, are fever, cough, and shortness of breath. Okay. So so like if somebody has a runny nose, say that, that, that isn't necessarily something that's tied to this virus. That would be more uh, allergic? maybe probably that it's probably more likely that it would be a you know an allergen type symptom you just eyes. right you mm-hmm. just need to make sure uh, what other symptoms are they having what is their exposure are there any concerns that this could be covid-19 right. travel history things like that mm-hmm. so rule out the bad before you just assume that it's the <laughs> right the, right. the and, lesser <laughs> and that's a good point and maybe hopefully something that you know all of us, and I'm not in the military anymore, but I was, uh, and I still work in it, obviously, but checklists. So you're basically running down your own checklist of what to look for as you're, you know, making sure. And, and, and again, I think it's important that, you know, it can even happen on our installation with a, a smaller group of people to talk about, but you don't want to overrun our medical group, right? Like you don't, you, like you said, Colonel Trinkle, you know, there are things that people should not be coming in for, or that maybe you should call for before you just drive out here and, and try to get seen by somebody. So run through that checklist and and do your due diligence. And certainly, um, because you, you are trying to help yourself, but you also want to make sure that our first responders and medical teams are, are not overrun so that they can take care of, you know, the, the necessities. And that's an excellent point, too. Um, With the elderly and those that have other medical conditions, this virus has hit them hard. Mm -hmm. So what we're seeing is that our our community uh, hospitals that have ICUs and emergency departments, they are extremely busy. So this is not the time to call 911 and go to the emergency department for just cough and cold symptoms. We do ask that uh, we help out our uh, brothers and sisters who are working as first responders and in the ICUs and emergency departments uh, in our civilian communities. Please uh, only go seek emergency care when it is truly emergent. Right. How are you guys interacting with your, your community partners out there? Like, what are those conversations like? That's a great question. Uh, <laughs> right now, it's it's kind of been a, a back and forth between supply issues mm-hmm. uh, and stuff like that. Um, we do uh, talk to our community partners on testing um, issues and stuff like that. Um, we do uh, have uh, at least a good rapport with uh, the VA of Oklahoma, um, you know, Integris, OU, um, you know, we're all partners in this. Right. Um, so, and a lot of our patients are seen down there. Mm-hmm. So we rely on them heavily, especially when our, our um, patients do get ill uh, and do have to seek the right. ER and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. And so 
We, we talk about people, you know, there's so much information running around out there. Um, one of the things that, that a lot of people talk about are is the surfaces that a virus could live on, right? And I know we, we had talked about this b- before we, we started recording, and there's there's lots of information and maybe general rule of thumb. So as the COVID-19 is something that we don't really know anything about yet, or the community doesn't, but... You know, is there a general rule of thumb on on how long a virus can live on a surface, or you know, what should people know about that, and and even how to come combat that really? Well, there's lots of stuff out there, mm-hmm. and we have to remember one that we have actually taken a really close look at this virus since December, so that's not a long time to mm-hmm. collect a lot of data. Right. Okay, and there are folks out there that are looking at how long the virus lives on a surface. And, you know, Colonel Grassl and I, we've talked about this. And, um, you know, the virus on different surfaces, like on copper, I think it's four days. And on a cardboard box, it's up to 24 hours. Uh, on hard surfaces, it could be up to words of a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you look at that, you have to remember that that is common areas that people are touching. Okay. okay? Right. So, you know, you could touch a rail at a a food court, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, And if it is not cleaned or wiped down with a disinfectant, then it it could last for a period of time, which is one of the reasons why we have really been pushing good disinfection uh you know we're asking folks it's not just the washing of the hands and the using of hand sanitizers it is wiping things down with clorox or a bleach solution or a solution with alcohol and this helps fight how long that virus lives on a surface and that's what's so important to know about that and that's great information because i I think you people shouldn't get a false sense of safety because they think, okay, well, I haven't touched my refrigerator door in 24 hours. I'm good to go. Well, that's mm-hmm. not the point. Like the point is, it's going to survive on a surface for a period of time. Disinfect and clean, and and clean your hands. And that is, that's your only sure way of of knowing that it's not still sitting on a surface. And uh, this is a message that the medical community pushes out every year beginning with the flu season right yeah because and that's that's great to know because we're not this isn't specific to COVID-19 right like you guys have been talking this in the medical profession community for ever since the beginning of time I mean you still have to do your part to make sure that that this isn't uh that you're safe and that you're protecting other people do you know and it is funny because you know when we the three of us talk and stuff and and Major Flowers, she does this all the time. She is a proponent of actual hand washing with soap yes. and water. <laughs> Which is a good point. So is hand sanitizer effective on COVID-19 or vir- I guess viruses in general, right? That- well, it, it is effective, but the best measure to take is hand washing because you can use hand sanitizer and the virus or the bacteria will remain on the surface of your hand using soap and water as our mothers and grandmothers told us as children uh, will remove the viruses and the bacteria from your hand and that is the best measure to take it's bizarre how how uh intelligent our mothers and grandmothers were when we didn't <laughs> want to listen to that old thing but and the point is like we were talking about that um is that like I I didn't honestly put two and two together where the virus isn't getting inside of my skin the second I touch it like the water and the soap and the pushing it off you and running it down the sink is 
is very effective. That's an effective maneuver. So that's good to know. And Miss Kirtland, um, she works in our facility. She has a great picture that I um, stole from her with her approval um, <laughs> <laughs> that public health will now start implementing. Um, so there was a school system. Um, they did a test, and so they had students uh, uh, touch bread. And so, so they had a one bread the student touched. They washed their hands with soap and water. They touched the bread, placed it in a um, Ziploc bag. Students didn't wash their hands, and they placed it in a Ziploc bag. And then they um, used hand sanitizer, and then they placed that piece of bread in a Ziploc bag. They went back to it. It's a science project. And a week later, the only slice of bread that did not have uh, mold growing on it was the slice where the students had washed their hands. So that is a mm. great picture of the efficacy of hand washing, using hand sanitizer, and not washing your hands but the best ever. Right. And then, and it's not to say that sanitizer is not good because you did say it, it is effective, but you know maybe not for, for virus and, and type things like that. Sanitizer has its it's more beneficial uses for other types of germs. Yes, if hand washing is, is not available to you at the moment, using hand sanitizer is great. <laughs> Good. And so, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. No, but no. Um, if soap and water is not available, we do recommend using hand sanitizer. But the best measure um, for hygiene is washing your hands, as our aunties, grandmothers, and mothers, and teachers told us so many years ago. Right. Right. It's uh, whatever we can do, right? I mean, it's, it's even who knows. You, you saw such a run on toilet paper and paper products when this all started. Then the hand sanitizer went. Soap seemed to still be in in a good abundance out there. But, you know, who knows? Is soap maybe going away too? I mean, we have no idea how long this is going to last or hard it'll it'll affect. So if it comes down to it and you have sanitizer and no soap, which at this point doesn't seem like the reality, but I guess it could happen, then one is better than nothing, right? Exactly. I mean, the, the point is to try to take precautions. And I'm sorry. I just want to let you know that the um, Med Group hotline, uh, we have a what number you can call to ask any questions, and that's area code 405-582-6414. Six four one four. Right, and that is posted on our website as well. We have a we have set up a coronavirus <coughs> information site on the Tinker Air Force Base website page, um, as well as I think you have it on the the medical group website, um, which you guys have that pushes down information from from uh, back in Virginia somewhere. I think the, the <laughs> Surgeon General's <laughs> office maybe. So <clears throat> at this point here on Tinker. Um, how are, or what are the conversations you guys are having to try to help slow down spread on our base itself within our fence line and our families, really, because we don't want to leave them out? Right. Well, one of the things that uh, we will do and we have done is uh, institute what we call quarantine. Um, you know, if we get an individual, one that tests positive mm -hmm. or two that, that we feel is a what we call a risk, uh, we have a questionnaire that they will fill out. Public health will look through it. Uh, and if they are designated a high risk, then they will be placed into quarantine. Um, and that is so that we don't have folks out there spreading that disease, touching things, um, and, 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 and creating that vector for other folks. Right. Um, now that can be a challenge uh, for a lot of folks. Um, one of the biggest questions I think that we have fielded is uh, I'm COVID positive, uh, but I go home to my family. 
Mm. Um, and they're telling me to quarantine in place. And what does that mean? Well, what that means is, is that when that person is COVID positive and they go back into that home, they go into one room all by themselves. There is one bathroom that is designated for them and them alone. One trash can that is designated for them and them alone. They don't come out of that room and mingle with the rest of the family. Um, they stay in that room. Uh, as a matter of fact, they're responsible in that room for washing down their sink and cleaning their toilet and making their bed. So you want to decrease contact with those folks as much as possible. You may have to leave food on the floor outside the door, <laughs> right. and and um, they come and they get it and they bring it in. Um, and just waiting that time period until the symptoms have resolved. It seems uh, almost radical and harsh in a way, but really do you, when you think it through, it's the stricter we are on this thing in the beginning, the quicker we can put a stop to it all right. and protect those of those of us uh, out there in the community. And and I think it's also important to note we talked about your your hotline that you guys have set up. Um, we do also have the questionnaire. The screening questionnaire is on our website and it's on the Tinker Facebook page as well. And so, uh, how are you guys encouraging people to use that that screening questionnaire? So there's a set of directions on the screening questionnaire that they can follow, and, and they send it to a particular org box. I um, mean, so the questionnaire is reviewed um, by the medical um, team that we have at the clinic, um, and then based on the information, uh, public health will reach out to the individual and um, have a conversation to do more um, investigation, ask more questions to get a fuller ideal of the picture that's being presented. If the member does qualify for quarantine or qualify for testing, uh, then we will bring in the supervisors. Um, but there is a there's two separate processes. So we have the, the medical surveillance piece where we will engage with the member and their supervisors um, for the quarantine aspect. Um, so nothing is ever happening in a vacuum without the input of others. Right. Good, good point. So um, I think we could probably talk about this all afternoon and evening, but it's probably a good stopping point. Um, we don't want to tie up too much, <laughs> too much of you guys' hands because I know you have a, a whole lot going on. You're get, you're pulling information for every single day and going into meetings every day and briefings and and keeping the the top leadership of the installation aware of what's going on. So, um, with that, I thank all of you for for taking time to come join us today and. Uh, putting out some good information, you know, I guess the the cleaning and the, and the you know, be do your due diligence, I think, is the, the best way to fight and the best message we can put out through all of this. Even even if we knew what we knew, it's still those are the best practices. Thank you. Thank you all very much. And so with that, uh, that brings to a close another edition of our Tinker Talks podcast. Um, we will be talking to another couple of individuals from the med group Um about uh, how to talk to your children and uh, dealing with stress and anxiety, which I think those, those topics aren't being widely talked about just yet. But as we move through this, this time period, I think we'll, we'll see that that's going to come to light and uh, be good information to know. So uh, until next time, please don't forget to uh, join us on another episode. Check out our Facebook page, please. There's so much uh, information on our Facebook and our website. Our website has all of the latest information, and it's updated multiple times a day. So anything that's coming and happening to this installation that people need to know about, you will find it on the tinker.af.mil 
coronavirus website. Um, our Facebook page, Tinker Air Force Base. Um, we also are out showing um, some photos of how we're handling the situation and kind of what the new norm for now looks like on the base in pictorial format. You can see that on our Facebook or Instagram site. Uh, and also um, our, our Twitter page where you can get a lot of the more quick hitting impactful information that you need to know. Uh, that's at team underscore tinker. And then again, if you, ma'am, if you'd just go ahead and give us your, uh, your telephone number again, it's 582. It's, that is the medical hotline, mm -hmm. right? Yes, and that runs 24 hours a day. We'll get, we'll get it for you. 6414. 582-6414. Awesome. So that is a very valuable resource that people um, who even just are a little, and we talk about we're going to get into the, the anxiety part. Maybe if you're just having a little bit of anxiety about a symptom or two, you know, call in. Talk to a healthcare professional and uh, run down your checklist and do your due diligence. So until the next time we, we join up with uh, the medical team for our next episode, uh, everybody out there, please stay safe, wash your hands, do your due diligence in corralling this thing, and uh, we'll go back to business as normal, hopefully. So until then, have a great day and a great day.